Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Dan Schultz has taught orchestra and general music at the J.P. Case Middle School in Flemington, New Jersey since September of 2000. He also holds a concurrent position as technical coordinator, directing and assisting school and community events with audio, video, and theatrical lighting. Dan studied music education at Lebanon Valley College, Northwestern University, and Boston University. By June of this year, it will be Dan's 31st year as a music teacher in New Jersey's public schools. Outside of school, Dan assists with lesson writing for Music First and lives in the beautiful town of Califon in Hunterton County with his wife Donna and son Noah. I've known Dan for a few years now and I've always been impressed with his approach to music education. I think you will be too. Well, Dan, it's fabulous to have you on our podcast this week. Thank you so much for for agreeing to chat with us. I think when I first met you, and I have no idea how long ago that was, somehow the topic of uh, Northwestern and the fact that you went there for your graduate work uh, came up. And and I am a, a just an enormous fan of the folks there. I wonder if you could start by telling us how you got to Northwestern and what influence uh, that program had on your teaching. Sure thing, Jim. Uh, first, let me say it's just a pleasure and an honor to be here today. It's really exciting to talk shop about music education and the world of technology. Uh, Related to the world of technology, Peter Webster was a hugely influential professor of mine from Northwestern. And the way I got there was really um, just an unexpected path. I had been um, asked to be a manager for an honors band, concert band, and uh, had to pick up a conductor at the airport. And so from the University of Michigan, I picked up George Cavender, who was the Region 1 concert band uh, conductor, guest conductor here for a weekend. And along the way, we got talking about graduate schools and he recommended that Northwestern summer program be a great p- place to look at so that oh, I could right. teach during the school year. And then as soon as school closed up shop on the last day, I would hop in my little Honda CRX and drive out Route 80 to Northwestern and make it there just before the first day of classes. So wow. one of the first classes that I took was with Dr. Webster, and he ended up being my advisor for my master's thesis as well. Oh, wow. And uh, taught a few classes along the way. Yeah, he's just, I I, I think um, that commonality, I I am such a massive fan of of Peter Webster, and and he was such an influence on my, you know, integration of technology. So, uh, yeah, I I think we have a, we're kindred spirit, Dan. Uh, He's such a fantastic, professor and and I'm not surprised at all that you're doing great things uh, uh, because of your studies with him I guess is one factor yeah he, uh, he, 
just a little background on it. Uh, Dr. Webster, um, some of his publications, his early publications, are not just in technology, but they're really in the subject of creativity. And this really caught my ear um, in the first class with him. And I, I just, it made me think like, what is creativity and how am I supposed to be teaching it? And uh, how does it fit in? At the time, I was just teaching high school band mainly. How do I fit that into my teaching model? Yeah, I just, I had the honor, I think I, 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 I may have told you that I had the honor last week uh, of speaking at uh, Dr. Webster's classes at, at USC. He's there now kind of as a scholar in residence, and it was a huge career honor for me to be presenting my work in front of him as he was so influential. So yeah, I, it, it's great. It's good to see that his influence is widespread. Uh, yeah, and it, just to take you where that was, for me, it was 1991. Um, I believe we were using uh, Apple SE30 computers wow. in a lab. Um, so, and we were, we were doing uh, software, kind of software creation in a, in a program called HyperCard. Oh, um, anybody's familiar with that, but it was like the precursor. Uh, to your internet browser as you see it now. So that was exciting and good old Encore. We were doing notation software in Encore and there were just some special people around the campus as well. Uh, so uh, one of the other persons that I met at the time is uh, Dr. Maud Hickey. Oh yeah, fantastic. And uh, she was finishing her doctorate while I was there. And uh, Maud is another uh, champion of teaching composition to kids in in music class yeah they're they're two of my favorite people and for any of the listeners you if you don't or if you're not already familiar with their work uh maude hickey and peter webster just google them go on amazon and and and, and buy their books and, and absorb as much as you can from them they're they're just fantastic so dan i'd love to know <clears throat> Um, you know, now you are at J.P. Case Middle School in, that's Flemington, New Jersey, correct? Yes. And um, so how did you get, and what are you doing there, and what's your program? Tell us about uh, what, what your kind of day-to-day -day position is there. Yeah, so I've, I've been there since the year 2000, and it's a middle school. It's grades 7 and 8, and there's about 800 students in the program. Uh, it's uh, at the time that I came there, there was a large band and chorus program at the time, and we were just switching over to block scheduling. And the principal was really looking to try to set some roots in the music program. The principal was a former music teacher, and he, uh, he wanted to see great things for the music program because they were going to start putting music on their daily schedule and moving it from a before school schedule to a, a, an every other day AB block schedule. Wow. And so we started off and at the time it was a sixth, seventh and eighth grade middle school because it was a, it was a different building than where I'm at now. And we were, but we were also planning on building a new building and they wanted to really cast a vision uh, about five years out for what that new building was going to be like and what were some of the classes that we were going to offer. So that's how I was excited about that program. It was, yep. it was a lot of forward thinking happening. And so what, what are you, what's your actual teaching? What, what are you, uh, you know, what are your teaching responsibilities there? So about a decade later, I, I knew that I had to, to kind of, 
sharpened my focus in what I was teaching. I was doing band, I was doing orchestra, I was doing general music. And so I, I stopped doing concert band because I have a colleague who's uh, wonderful with kids, Dave Thomas. And um, I just decided it was time for me to focus on just doing orchestra and the music technology teaching because we were developing uh, a music technology lab um, that that we are currently teaching in. So that was about a decade ago mm -hmm. um, when I got to the, the current setup that I'm in now. So I teach orchestra in the morning. Uh, I teach a block orchestra, either seventh or eighth grade. It's about 40 students in each group. And then in the afternoon, I do music technology classes and I have one block class in the afternoon that meets for 80 minutes. And it's, uh, it's a rotating trimester type course where we'll get every student in our school over the course of six different rotations. So my two choral colleagues, Heather Faherty and Rose Nagy, both do that, that same type of work with me in the general music class teaching the, the general music trimester course. Now, do, is there a crossover between the kids who are in performance ensembles and the general music? Are they in both or is it like yeah. one of those? So the nice thing is every student in the school takes general music unless there's some extreme circumstance where they can't. So I'll, I'll see uh, students who are in our autistic hub. We are a county hub for many autistic students from Hunterdon County. Um, they're bussed in from other towns, and so I'll see um, usually one rotation with those students, and then we'll see all the general ed students through the course of those two years at least once. That's fantastic, and I, I think, Dan, I probably have mentioned this on other podcasts, but I think you, you and I are, are on the same page with this. I know that when I started teaching, general music was the last thing I wanted to do, especially at the middle school level. I just wanted to conduct. I, I wanted to make music and swing the baton and, and try to perform at the highest level possible. And that general music to me was this afterthought, especially at middle school, where it was the kind of the dumping ground. I don't know if you have that or you had that same. I'm, obviously, you're not, you don't feel that way now, but, um, <clears throat> you know, what, what did... Did general music, was that part of your teaching duties from the minute you got there to JPK's? Yeah. So you know, did you right have from the first day? I thought, I mean, was it similar for you or? Yeah. When we first started with it, um, it, it, the words dumping grounds, were, that was mentioned by a number of teachers um, and I, those exact words. Right. I, I, I always knew it could be a lot more and I always had a special appreciation for it. Um, kind of going back to the, the time at Northwestern, because uh, right there in the town of Evanston, I knew there were teachers that um, were teaching great classes in general music. So I, I, I knew that we could set a vision for making it something more right from the get-go um, when I arrived in Flemington. And so that was a part of casting that vision. We started off with uh, putting in a Yamaha piano lab and so all the students had a class piano experience. And, right. and that, was, uh, that was the model for uh, till about 2009. We, we used that for about nine years. And, uh, and then we progressed there to having an iMac lab. Now we have 28 stations in an iMac lab with pianos. And I, I, I'm just finishing up an order for 28 uh, Novation launch Launch oh, cool. pads. Um, awesome. Really excited about that. 
um, and and trying to incorporate that. We we have guitar as well in general music, and um, and you know, with all the the music first technology, it's it's very much an exciting place to be now, and. Um, so some of the the general eds that I would uh, general ed students that I would never see in a an orchestra class come in and they have a great time with music class. Oh, that's great. Um, so, uh, what are you know for the purpose of this interview, Dan? I'd love to kind of now focus in on what you're doing with the technology side of your program. Um, but before I do, do your orchestra students, you know, in that context, did they have any exposure to the technology that you use or is it only for your general music classes? Yes, uh, we do have a, a cr crossover between the kids. Uh, some of the kids might get Heather or Rose, uh, my colleagues, as the teacher because they might be in, they might be in a different section. So they all will go through that program. So a kid might see their time in general music and then also be in the uh, orchestra program. We often find out a lot of things about the kids in general music that we might not have seen in, in the orchestra right. program. Uh, like all of a sudden you find out about this one student who has amazing piano skills or another student has great guitar skills, or another student cannot read any ledger lines below the staff and really needs help, and somehow that slipped through the cracks. Right. And so it, it's, it's definitely a wonderful opportunity to catch up with, with the students in a different way, and, um, and we, we've found some amazing talents because of that crossover, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more in this interview as we go on. Yeah, but do, um, do your, in, in your orchestra teaching, in your orchestra ensemble, are those students, you know, separate from general music, are those students using any technology, or is your focus? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, I, this is, I'm I'm a little bit of a rebel in this area, and this is a little different to explain sometimes. But I, I come from a a constructivist viewpoint in teaching, where I really feel like to understand some of the complexities about music, the students have got to learn by creating things and by constructing their own learnings. So one of the projects that I'll do in orchestra that is a, a different thing is if, if there'll be days where we just put our instruments down for a part of our block rehearsal and we'll grab a Chromebook and I might have the students compose an eight measure etude given uh, a set of rhythmic vocabulary and maybe we're working in a certain key and I'm going to ask them maybe to focus on string crossings in their etude and compose something that's going to help you develop your technique in string crossings so that you can uh, manipulate the, the movement of the bow you know from the D string to the A string or up to the E string on violin a little bit easier because sometimes that technical issue needs some addressing in a different way that maybe we didn't cover uh, in our, our normal studies of orchestra pedagogy. So that's one thing. I mean, we everybody also is aware of things like musictheory.net where we can make sure we're working on note reading um, and key signature identifications and a lot of theory-based things. But I like to do some composition as well where maybe we're just simply teaching the kids to compose um, by steps or composing using thirds and fourths. Um, so we'll have a few exercises that we do. And when we're done with that exercise, every kid usually wants to play their tune sooner or 
later. So we'll play them in the orchestra. A lot of times I'll just project them up on the wall and there'll be a, a three staff score and everybody will just pick their line and we'll play through it maybe four measures at a time. That's, that's awesome. And I think, Dan, if I'm recalling correctly, you had a student um, and I, I, I talk about this story almost all the time when I'm presenting at conferences. If I'm pretty sure it was you. You had a student that like went home and composed a symphony on note flight and then came into you and said, oh, you know, Mr. Schultz, uh, check out my symphony. It, it, that was you, correct? It is, yeah. So the student's name is Rishab. And this started in seventh grade. And he is now... Uh, in his first year of college, oh, wow. um, he's uh, yeah he he's doing he's doing actually a gap year because of um, some health concerns. He he was really ill. Um, I oh. talk to his mother every once in a while because she subs in our school district, and he was very very ill uh, about two years ago. So he decided after high school to take a year off before he goes back to college. But brilliant kid. Um, so that started because of general music he was in a general music class with rose nagy and she was doing a unit in inside music teaching with note flight and um and we share an office together and our desks are next to each other and when she was reviewing the the assignments from general music she goes dan you, you've got to hear this composition uh, this student is composing in a classical style he's doing um, he's doing his own melodies um, in, in the style of Mozart, or then he'll switch over to maybe uh, a, a late romantic style. It's, it's like fascinating. So right. the, the student's name is Rishab, and, uh, and we discovered him in general music, and he was actually playing uh, piano and trumpet. He was in band. So he would come in for me and play piano every once in a while in orchestra. And then he also joined my symphony orchestra before school, which is an, an enrichment group that, um, that we, we run two days a week before school. So in, at the end of seventh grade, after his general music class, I asked him to write a piece over the summer. And he wrote three um, <laughs> over the <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me a, and so it was, it was a great process because he would send them to me and we would talk about uh, scoring and practical ranges and, and what's a good difficulty level for your compositions. Cause the two, the first two of them were really hard and it, it was like New York Philharmonic level in his right. first two compositions. But the third one, he got it right. So we called it symphony number three and we performed it in orchestra, and we also performed it um, in a few competitive situations. We, we performed it at a festival, which uh, the adjudicators were in shock, and they, they recognized him at that. They, they had him stand up, and they talked to him a little bit about his composition at a festival. It was pretty wonderful. That's awesome. I, I, the reason I tell the story is you never know, um, you know, exposing students to creativity tools. You never know who's the hidden gem in the students that you teach. I personally believe, and I think if you're a Dr. Webster fan as well, that there's a composer inside every single kid. And that oh, it's, yeah. just, it's just us basically taking them up to the well or taking them up to the shiny object and saying, yeah. look, kid, Look what you can do, and and not ever. And obviously, if you're if you're teaching a hundred kids, you're not going to have a hundred uh, reshibs. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Um, 
it, it sometimes it sneaks up on you in ways you just don't understand. So just yesterday, um, another student in orchestra who last year had done some of these composition exercises with me in orchestra and was a general music student with, I believe, Heather Faherty. He, yesterday he comes in and he had emailed me um, a piece that he wrote for string orchestra. And he, he just did it in note flight. He wasn't asked to do it. And he wrote um, an electronic dance music tune. Oh, it's, cool. it's a looping tune. And, it, and the first thing I did was I, he sent me the MP3 file and I played it on my, on my computer. And it sounded like EDM dance music. And I was ready to go get a synthesizer at that moment. So as quickly as we could, we copied out his parts and we read it in orchestra. And it was very syncopated. It was really creative. And for me, it was just getting out of the way. I just had to step back and say, here, the kid did this. Um, I had him talk to the orchestra about his composition. And, and I told the kids, hey, if you write something, we are at the very least, we're going to give it a good playing and we'll work on it and, you know, and try to do it justice. And if it's something that we can revisit, maybe improve on it, make some suggestions, and uh, and work into a piece. We'll do it in a concert, um, like it, as long as it's something that we can play successfully. We'll, right. We'll do concerts. So, it's a fun thing. We've done this now four times. I've had students feature things, um, and each time, I've been more amazed than the time before. Um, you, you, you can't make it up how good it is when. Um, when the kids get it right, it's just amazing. Yeah. But not every composition is great. And, Correct. and you have to be comfortable with letting it be messy. And, and maybe we don't, we don't play the piece um, for a concert, but in rehearsal, we learn why it worked, maybe why it didn't work. Um, and, or we, we revisit the composition. A big thing in the compositional process is to go back to a piece and rework it and continue to improve it. And uh, composers like Ives revisited pieces over decades. Um, he would go back to his piece over and over again and just rework it. So yep. that's something that we have to think about too. Absolutely. All right. So Dan, I, I believe that you were one of Music First's earliest adopters. I, I think you've had it for four years now. Is that right? Um, I, I was really struggling to remember when it started. Um, but I do have, I do have assignments that date, date back to 2015. Okay. And that's in the online classroom. I can't remember what was before the online classroom because, uh, Rishab was definitely before 2015. Um, he was working at a note flight and I know that we, we got a subscription from music first, um, at, at some point we were working on that. And so I could, that's what I was struggling. Yeah. With. I, yeah. I, I, well, first of all, thank you uh, yeah. for, for being an early adopter. But what I would love to do now is shift gears a bit over to your general music classes and just hear from you, what type of projects you're doing with the kids in the general music setting. Yeah. So we have units planned um, and the, the big core units that we have are class piano um, and our piano experience with 28 kids and IMAX and one teacher walking around, we've, we've done a lot of video instruction. So we've, we've done homemade movies where we shot our own piano instructional videos and we use that kind of for our, 
uh, our introduction to certain tasks with piano, but then we also do some good old fashioned, um, you know, walking around, helping kids um, with their with their hand positions. Um, so every kid takes beginner piano for about eight classes on the block schedule, but they'll they'll come up with accompaniments and they'll come up with um, different uh, variations on uh, looping compositions during that time. We'll do a unit in guitar as well as uh, a historical unit we'll get into. We'll do some composition in note flight. And then like, kind of our last two units sometimes are a little bit flexible. I've done some, some minor film score work with stop motion animation, and I'll ask students to, uh, to uh, make a stop motion animation from Legos. Uh, because it's middle school, it's seventh and eighth grade, um, we are very hesitant to put any kids in videos, so we have them video inanimate objects. And yep. they'll, they'll do a 30 second stop motion animation. Then we'll try to create a sound score that goes along with that to tell the story. And we'll, we'll work on storytelling um, in that 30 second structure. Um, and then there's, we have some one-off lessons that we do here and there. Um, I'll do uh, some commercial voiceovers with kids for fun. If we need just a little break from things and we'll put music to them. And we've, we've done a lot with podcasting as well. Now the the just because I'm I'm really curious about the stop motion animation because I love those there are little uh, it's called brick films that's on the Internet Archive site yes. uh, which, which basically spurred the Lego Movie uh, but what what's are you using software for those stop motion animations and if so what yeah um, so we're doing it I have I have eight iPads that were. Um, from a cart that was used in a technology lab that's no longer used. So I, I inherited eight iPads and we use MyCreate software, which is an app. And it's not the free version. It's, it was, I think, a couple of dollars for each, uh, for each application right. to install. And then we do the sound score work in GarageBand. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that uh, un unfortunately, you probably know that Soundation and Soundtrap do not support video yeah. yet. I keep saying yet. I've said yet for three years. So Soundtrap, Soundation, if you're listening, please. Because uh, obviously, I would imagine that you'd prefer to be able to do it in an online tool so that the students can use that at home, correct? Yeah, that, it would be much better. Um, there's been some software applications that have tried to go cloud-based. Um, and we've tried a few, I'm not going to mention any names because they weren't all that successful. Right. Um, and I just, and I, I know it will get there sooner or later. Um, but it's it right now we're doing it a pretty low tech to be honest with you, because the kids are just walking around with iPads and they might be on the floor in one spot or on a desk in another spot, putting together their Lego pieces. Yeah. Some kids bring in Barbie dolls. Some kids bring in Fisher price kid toys. Um, and I, I usually have a stash of bags with toys in it that I keep um, in great. the classroom just, to, just in case a kid needs props. And but I'm sure the students must love that project. Am I right? <laughs> I, I would say they are as all in on a project as, as eighth graders can be. Um, I teach mostly eighth grade with general music. Okay. Um, and I have to say this, like, there is a certain part of eighth grade where students don't want to disclose that they're happy about very much with life um, <laughs> as eighth graders. Uh, it is really a tough identity year for them. It is. They're it trying is. to figure 
figure out who they are and who they're going to be. And they're being pulled in so many different directions. And they start talking to the kids about high school schedules. And there's a certain amount of depression and panic beyond just the, the, the normal questions of being an eighth grader and, and who am I going to be in this world? Right. So, yeah. So the projects have been interesting in general music. I'll, I'll jump over to podcasting for a second. Um, for, for me, we've done a, a few different variations on some older themes. One I borrowed from you. Thank you so much. It was just the, the, the mock interview is still an, uh, an oldie but goodie that we get some mileage out of where a student chooses an artist and they choose to uh, do a radio station interview at our school as a fictitious radio station. And they are given um, some overarching questions or essential questions to answer in the course of an interview. And they have to research this and then write the interview and record it. And it's, it's really a fun project, but we've, we've worked really hard to try to make it meaningful by uh, changing up some of the essential questions with it. So, um, so students might pick an artist and then, I will ask them, how does that artist um, give back to society in a meaningful way? And how do they use their fame to, to make society better? Because some of the projects, to be honest with you, after you listen to 20 projects and how many Grammy Awards everybody won and how many millions of dollars people have made, the, the, the projects can be depressing if you just <laughs> how much money everyone else has. And, right. Um, so... So some kids have found some great things um, in, in finding how an artist uh, might support a local charity that's special to them. Or we'll also ask an essential question, which uh, asks the kids to research personal backgrounds of different musical artists. And was there a person of influence in their life that helped shape or mold their life? And sometimes they find out great things. Um, uh, one student was recently working on a project um, on Eminem, and he, he just found so much information about how Eminem is now giving back to uh, the city of Detroit and helping kids who are uh, underserved in that area with after-school clubs because he himself was a kid who went to the ninth grade three times and um, moved around a lot because his dad left at a very young age and he had a really difficult upbringing. Right. It was just things I didn't know about him as an artist and it made the project a lot more interesting to listen to. So it, it begs the question, do, do your student like, the, you know, that kind of radio interview and those kind of compositions and the, and the brick films or the stop motion animation, do the students, um, share those projects out to the larger world or is it primarily something that you do in class and the student might have I mean I, I get this question a lot you know what happens to that project do you as at JPKs promote these to the world or is it a kind of a closed uh, so so we we that's a great question um, we try to be private with things with the kids and ask them if it's something phenomenal, we'll ask them if we can maybe play it for the principal or something. But the projects are largely kept in-house because of the kids have to be able to do this anonymously. Yep. And um, due to the child online protection laws, and my kids are mostly under 14, I, I make sure that we only use our first names in the projects and we're not putting videos out there on the web, we're just keeping them in our own domed uh, Google Classroom system, um, which our our server 
prevents kids from uh, sending things outside of our district. Yeah, um, it's a it's a virtually domed system is the way it was set up. So, but the kids, I mean, one of the points I'm, I'm making about that is the kids don't really they don't they like that. I mean, I don't I don't think the students you know, you can't control what they're doing at home. And if they're going, you know, if, by the way, if you inspire a student to go and compose a note flight or garage band or soundtrack or whatever the tool is, and then they go and create their own SoundCloud channel and go drop their tunes outside of the school, you know, great for them. But I think it's, it's good to know, or it's important to know as a teacher that, you know, the student's work is actually the student's work. It's not yours. And, yeah. uh, and, and going and sharing it with the rest of the world is really, a, that's a private decision for the students if they want to go do that. But you as a teacher have to be super careful about what you're, from a privacy standpoint, from a, you know, what are the parents going to think? But also it's actually their intellectual property. I didn't know we'd go this way with the conversation, but you know, I, 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 I often think about that as, um, you know, you don't have to share it with the world. In fact, you should be really careful before you do. Yeah, most parents, uh, they love the the creative philosophy that we embark in, but they also let me know, like, hey, listen, just let's, let's keep that stuff in house. I mean, this yep. stuff is great, yep, yep. let's just do it here. And um, now a composition and a public performance at our concerts, they, they eat that up. Yeah, That's, they sure do that everybody's got their phone out and oh here comes victoria's composition and it's wonderful and we and that part of it it's celebrated and it's it's a wonderful thing but they're private projects that we do in general music um, most of the time it's up to them to how they want to share it and um and i'm sure like uh i'm sure that that malcolm's um, EDM piece for orchestra. He'll probably share with his friends in some way, shape, or form as a fun thing. But that's yep. up to him. It's, yeah. uh, um, in, which is, it's. I think it keeps it a safe space for the kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, Dan, we're, we're almost we're running uh, almost out of time. So I want to ask two final questions, if I may, that I ask for everybody. And the first is, you know, some people who are listening to this may not have a lot of tech background, tech experience, and others may be completely immersed in it. But my, my question to you is, what advice would you give to a music teacher uh, about incorporating both technology and creativity into their program based on your experience? Oh, wow. Awesome question. Um, first of all, it, it's okay to take the, the bad with the good. Things will fail. Um, this process is messy and we, we can't be discouraged by uh, a technical mishap, which is bound to happen with even the most experienced people um, working with technology. Um, yeah, a little disclaimer. This is Jim and I's second take on this project. Because <laughs> I, I, I was going to mention it. Like, so like some, and you, you have two people that, that are not just your novice users of technology. And, you know, sure enough, there was a technology fail when we tried to get together on this podcast. But things go wrong. And it's okay. Don't be discouraged. Just don't be afraid to try. Um, I, I have to say that was probably the biggest suggestion I took from Dr. Webster was just, just, try different things. It's, it's okay to fail at it. Sometimes the best lesson is much better the second time around. And if you don't give it that second chance, you'll, you'll never know if you've, if you've given up on it. Um, 
there's, there's some other things that I think about a lot too, and that's most creative people um, are really comfortable not knowing where things are gonna end up. And they're okay if something lands in an un, unexpected place. And yep. it just, sometimes it's just being willing to go for that little surfing ride and, and being willing to land in an unexpected place and just go off road with it. Um, I still believe in organic music making. Don't get me wrong with all this technology. I still love um, sitting down with kids in, and making music um, on non-electronic instruments and just uh, doing the things that we have done for centuries. But it's, it's just nice to do something new every once in a while and not be afraid to have a kid try to create something new because they just take so much ownership over it. I think if, if that's the one nugget to take yep. out of this, it's like they engage on a different level when they've got the ownership of the tune. And, and, and sometimes it is hard. It's, it's okay if it's hard, but you know, we wouldn't be just, we wouldn't be doing this if it was all easy and not every kid's going to make money off their composition. And it's really not the goal to do that. But uh, creativity is something that is valued in all parts of society. Um, if you need a little inspiration, listen to Sir Ken Robinson. He yep. is great to listen to just to get fired up about doing something different. Um, we are, we, we also mentioned Maud Hickey's work. Maud wrote a book called Music Outside the Lines, um, mm. hugely influential. It, it's really great. Um, so uh, I would go forward with that. Yeah, I think, and, and if I may, before I ask, answer, ask the last question of you, Dan, is that it's almost like anything in life, whether it's a sport, anything worth doing, anything, uh, you know, sports, fishing, bowling, I don't care, skiing, whatever it is, is that you know, it takes practice, it takes a dedicated effort, it takes a long time so that if you do start with technology and trying to get your kids to be creative, it is highly likely that if you have 100 students, 99 won't be worth saving. Um, but if you keep trying and keep, you know, going for it, I believe personally that it's almost like when, uh, you know, that you get that one aha moment that is just, oh my, you know, it's, it's what keeps you teaching is that... Yeah you know, that, that you are going to find those um, incredible students, incredible compositions where everything just clicked at the right time. But that doesn't mean that because of the lack of reward, if you will, it's not a constant reward when you use technology for creativity um, uh, in terms of uh, getting a product back. But what the unwritten is, is that you have to give, in my opinion, you have to give students the opportunity to be creative. Because even though you may not get some kind of um, you know, palpable reward to say, look what my kid wrote. You have no idea what that experience for the students is doing for them, you know, for, on a life kind of, uh, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Like that. Oh, absolutely. It's the opportunity for the kids to create, even if they don't make anything great. Um, I believe that that is a very powerful experience for the kids, regardless of the end product. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that uh, principals have shared with me as well, that when they've observed these composition lessons, they're, they're okay with the fact that uh, not all these lessons are, are you know, ready for Carnegie Hall, like right. not all these compositions are ready for that. But they see the, the kids embracing it and trying it. Trying to think in sound is not an easy thing. Right. Um, learning to uh, explore sound and then improvise and compose, it has to start somewhere. And 
I, I just think that this is a great standpoint from like, let's, let's just explore what is this compositional process that we're all looking at and, yep. uh, and kind of work from there. So uh, it, it is um, an, an unbelievable honor to talk with you about this stuff. Um, I've always had a blast doing this stuff with music first. Um, we've, we've done a lot of neat lessons. There's a lot of lessons that I've written for you guys that are shared and people are more than welcome to see them in music first. I can't say enough about the company. So I gotta, I gotta give you props there. Yeah, I, for, I really for some really that. cool things. Yeah. So for those listeners, uh, our courses that we have in our content library, Dan Schultz is the author of all the orchestra courses. So go and check those out. We, we love what you, what you've done for us, Dan. So final question before I wrap up and, and Dan, I could talk to you all day, uh, is if you had a magic wand, it could change something either about what music first offers or what technology in general, uh, you know, if you could just ma wave a magic wand and say, now it can do this, what would it be? Oh boy. Uh, I'm excited about this Novation Launchpad, and I think we have to make it connect to O Generator in some oh, way. Oh, cool! And it, and maybe it's a different interface. Maybe we have to invent the interface, the interface to make those things work. But uh, O Generator is the greatest software for the non-notation reader. And some kids do the coolest things in that software. So if we could make that connect with kind of a uh, an interface that kids like to hold that feels good while they're pushing some of the buttons to and it would be a midi interface i would right, say yeah, yeah. to make it something that goes live um that kind of feels like a live instrument um and and some of that comes from just my interest as a a, a rock bass player um, besides being a classical trombonist I, i've played rock bass for about 20 years and, awesome. and just enjoy it enjoy doing that. So um, giving kids the opportunities to make loops in that would be neat. Um, and if O Generator could make some of those loops into automatic MIDI loops that we could export into Soundation, um, I, I'm all in. I'm ready all for right. that too. I, I am, I'm going to be with those guys in a couple of weeks. I'm so glad you mentioned that software. It is, it is my personal favorite and, I, and I'll see what we can do, Dan. Well, yeah. it, it, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, and I hope that our listeners uh, picked up on just what a great music teacher you are. So keep on keeping on, Dan, and thanks so much for being our guest. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.